This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 53, and we are recording on October 25th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. I watched Hocus Pocus last night. Did you? <laughs> so that's, really my, that's my Halloween plan, yeah. <laughs> is Hocus Pocus and Beetlejuice. I went to Rebecca's house. She made uh, like a chorizo black bean soup oh. out of the new Anthony Bourdain cookbook. And we watched Hocus Pocus, and it was excellent. There were margaritas involved. It yes, was a good, time. <laughs> good. Yes, good. Living right. Living right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of living right, <laughs> it's like, how do I segue this? Book Riot Live reminder. It's only <laughs> oh my god, it's like less than twenty days away right mm-hmm. now as we record this. Um, that's crazy. You should come join us. It's going to be amazing. Uh, it is November twelfth and thirteenth here in New York City. And there's going to be a ton of amazing authors and panels and games and meetups and just the whole nine yards. If you like book things, it is all of your favorite book things and favorite book people, we hope. Um, you should use code JAZZHANDS when you register because that will get you $20 off your weekend pass or $10 off a day pass. But you should really come for both days and okay, I'm done. BookRightLive.com. Go check it out. Come to see us. It's going to be so much fun. Whatever. It's all right. Um... Oh, I wanted to mention before we get into the show that this is our 53rd episode, so we've been going for about a year, and Jen put together a post for the site that's our, like, 11 most recommended titles. Is it 11? It's 11. Yes, most recommended titles uh, on the show, and it's just super interesting. So if that's, like, data that you'd be interested in uh, seeing, you can go check out the uh, post. The first one is Sorcerer to the Crown, of course. Obviously, (laughs) which is also our Riot Read book club pick, because we just can't get enough of it. Yup, yup. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so how the show works, like I said, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. So you send us in your reading recommendation requests. You can email them to us at bookriot, or excuse me, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes. If you uh, have a question that is time sensitive, like your book club is meeting in a month and you need a book for it or something like that, uh, please note in the subject line or the first line of your question that it's time sensitive so we can try to answer it on time. We've also started emailing responses to people who are asking questions that we've answered on the show before. So keep an eye on your inbox. Also, you might get an email question instead of getting it answered on the air um, if it's something that we've covered. So moving on, we're going to do our first question and then our first sponsor and then we will get to it. All right. Our very first question is from Randy. Uh, I teach a concurrent enrollment college composition class for high school seniors. Part of the syllabus for the spring semester involves covering literary analysis. In addition to plays, poems, and short stories we cover, I wanted to add a novel this year, preferably between 250 to 350 pages and easy to find. I was thinking of Jamie Ford's Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, but I was wondering about other options. I would prefer modern fiction, and it would be awesome if it's a discussion-provoking book. Diversity is also a huge plus. All right. 
Okay, uh, before we get started, our first sponsor is Deadly Silence by Rebecca Zanetti. This is a new action-packed, sexy, like, romantic thriller, which is awesome. Um, so if you're a fan of, like, Maya Banks or Sandra Brown, Lisa Jackson, those sorts of authors, then this will be uh, in your wheelhouse. It's the first book in a new series, the Blood Brothers series, and it's a spinoff of Rebecca Zanetti's Sin Brothers series. So if you're a fan of that, you'll recognize um, some of these Characters. So the the hero's name is just my favorite. Riker Jones is the hero's name, and he runs the Lost Bastards Investigative Agency. He's opened it up with um, some what they call like blood brothers, like men at arms kind of a thing. Um, They've lost a client in a really horrible and brutal way. The heroine's name is Zara Remington. She's a paralegal, and she's working with Riker to help figure out what happened to this client. Uh, Riker's got a lot of stuff from his past that he can't outrun that's, like, resurfacing at a really inconvenient time. Um, So he's trying to deal with all of that, and he's also trying to solve this mystery, and he's also trying to deny the fact that he's falling for this paralegal Zara because it's, you know, inconvenient, and he's got a horrible past, and he destroys pretty much anything that he touches. Um, she is making some really risky moves at work to help him solve this. She's also having an affair with this private investigator, who is Riker, obviously. Um, so her life is kind of unstable. Uh, she realizes that there's a lot about his life that Riker's not telling her, and the more she, like, uncovers, the less involved she wants to get with him. Um, but she can't help herself. As, you know, as happens <laughs> in romance novels. She's just so drawn. <laughs> I, I mean, I love that's this kind how of it stuff. goes. That is how it's it so goes. so good. Um, so I love that romantic suspense is a subgenre that exists. Like, that you can solve. It just gets your blood pumping and, like, for every reason. Like, there's there's romance and there's swooning and there's, you know, heat and all of that. But there's also, like, who done it And, um, you know, like, chase scenes and all that kind of... It's just... They're just so page-turnery. And I really like that about this genre so the go check that out that's deadly silence by rebecca zanetti it's the first book in the blood brothers series and thank you for sponsoring the show oh, okay i'll just keep going so we are looking for uh books to read in a comp class for high school seniors that are discussion provoking okay so my first pick for you is the lowland by jumpa lahiri um i this is not her newest book. Her newest book is nonfiction, but it was, I think, her latest novel. So this takes place mostly in the 60s. It jumps back and forth in time from, like, present day uh, to the 60s, like I said, um, in India, in Calcutta. And you're you're following two brothers, Subhash and Udayan, and they are born, like, 15 months apart or 16 months apart? I don't remember. Um, super close together. So they're almost like twins. Like, they're raised together. People will often mix them up. And then you follow them as they grow up. And as they get into, like, their teenage years, like, early 20s, they take completely divergent paths. Uh, Udiyan, who has always been, like, the more impulsive brother, finds himself really drawn to, like, revolutionary politics and gets involved in a revolutionary party um, that is very, like, Maoist that exists to, you know, eradicate poverty. And um, it's very... Has like questionable tactics when it comes to uh, the method, the methods that they want to use to get their message out. Um, Subhash, on the other hand, is like a very dutiful kind of son. He wants to follow a more traditional path for his life, and so he leaves Calcutta and moves to the U.S. to pursue a life of um, like sci- of scientific research. I think biology, if I remember correctly. He he just he becomes uh, a scientist, and so he when he is living away from home, he finds out, he, he gets, like, really bad news from home about something that's happened to his brother. He goes back to India to try and put his family back together to figure out exactly what happened to his brother and to deal with his brother's wife, who he has recently learned that his brother has. Um, so there's a lot going on here. There's some political stuff that 
your students will probably have to maybe do a little of like outside research um, to familiarize themselves with what's going on. I certainly had to. Uh, I was completely unfamiliar with the, it's called the Naxalite movement in Indian history. Um, but Lahiri's writing is very economical and she packs so much, like such punches into very seemingly kind of cold sentences. Um, but they don't leave you cold. She's just magical. And I think that for a comp class, that would be an interesting thing to, to break apart. Like how she can make you feel so many things with like almost Hemingway short, clear, precise kind of writing. Um, it's like a feat. She's just, she's a feat. I don't know. I don't understand it. Uh, please, so discuss it with your students and then come tell me how she does this because I don't have any idea. Um, so that's The Low Land by Jabul Lahiri. Uh, yes. Um, first, I want to co-sign uh, Jamie Ford's Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. That is a wonderful novel. Um, if you haven't read it, you should look it up. Uh, my first suggestion for you is Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam. It is a debut novel, um, and it's set in both Brooklyn and Bangladesh. And it's it follows uh, it's it's a family story primarily. Um, there's three young women in the family who the story sort of rotates around. But like, if you want a book that's going to provoke discussion, there is so much going on in this book. There's family dysfunction. There's adoption. There's sexuality questions. There's like people making bad choices there's i mean it's it's an immigrant story it's also like a very um american story there's just so much going on in here i feel like it will be a like there will just be so many things that the students will want to talk about um and it is rather than i mean the prose is very good i really enjoyed the writing in this book but more than that it's a character book so like if you're looking for something where you really want to dig into how you show a character on the page, how you show a bunch of characters on the page. Uh, it's third person close, if I remember correctly. So there's like a lot of different people who share the spotlight. And I think she manages it incredibly well. So that would be a very interesting thing to talk about. Like, how do you balance who's telling the story and what we know versus what we don't know? Um and yeah, I just, I loved it so much. I thought it was really fun. The ending 100% made me cry. Um, no. So it has a lot of feelings in it. Um, but it's also, it's student, you know, the, the women are either graduating high school or in college themselves. So it's also very close in age to where your students are, but it's not like your, it's not a YA novel. It's a family novel. So I think that there will be a lot of things to talk about. Uh, so that is Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam. Okay, my second one that I picked for you is called Francis and Bernard. It's by Carleen Bauer. And this is an epistolary novel that's um, not loosely, just kind of totally, based on the the um, correspondence of Flannery O'Connor and Robert Lowell, who was an American poet. Um, so France, they, they met at a, like... I think a writer's event or something in real life and then went on to have very long and interesting correspondence together and, um, you know, a really deep and meaningful friendship. So the novel, Francis and Bernard, is is based on that. Um, they meet, these two characters meet in the 50s at an, an artist colony. She thinks that he's, like, kind of goofy but, but like, super talented as a poet. He thinks that she's, like, cold and weird and kind of a snob but has very interesting things to say. Um, so they develop this friendship at this writer's colony. And then when they go back to their own homes, they start writing each other letters about everything. Like f there's a lot in here about faith, which is to be expected when you're dealing with a, a book based on the life of Flannery O'Connor. Um, 
They also talk a lot about like mental health and the nature of friendship. Their relationship with each other grows over the course of the letters and you watch that happen without watching it happen. So you are seeing their responses to like the romantic feelings they develop for each other, which did not happen in real life with Flannery O'Connor or Robert Lowell. Um, but between these two characters, it does. And then where their relationship does or doesn't go and like how Carlene Bauer handles all of those things in letter form, I think is a it would be an interesting thing to study. And of course, since they're talking about um, faith and how you practice that or don't, uh, how you deal with um, being friends with someone of maybe an opposite gender. I mean, gender's not a binary, but you know, in this book, that's how they handle it. Um, and dealing with romantic feelings for them or not, and uh, like all of the stuff, the complicated stuff that's wrapped up in that. So there's a lot to talk about, but I think that the epistolary nature of the book would be a really interesting thing to teach. So that's Francis and Bernard by Carleen Bauer. My second pick is The People of Forever Are Not Afraid by Shani Boyanju. Uh, this book really kind of blew me away because it was a book I had never read before. Like, it was about a thing I had never read about. Uh, it's about, it's also about three women, whoops, um, sorry, not sorry, uh, <laughs> who are growing up together in a small Israeli village and they are about to go into their mandatory service in the army. Um, so they start out in high school, you know, passing notes and being high school students. And now they are conscripted in the army and they're being trained. And, you know, they're trying to deal with both the excruciating boredom of soldier life, because that is the bulk of it, and then the violence that, like, comes up out of seemingly nowhere um, that then they have to process. Uh, and, you know, how your life changes when you're in that situation, what your relationships look like. One of the things that I think is interesting about this book from a composition standpoint is that the style is super spare and very direct. Um, and there's not a lot of texture to the prose. Like, it's very straightforward. Forward. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that that would, it's, it's just another style that would be interesting to look at um, where you're not using a lot of like atmospheric setting or, you know, but you still like you can feel the grit and you can, there's this one scene where they're practicing dealing with tear gas and it is so, like my eyes were watering as I was reading this scene, but she's so sparse with her words. So it was a very interesting combination of things. So I think that that would be a really super interesting read for a lot of reasons. That's The People of Forever Are Not Afraid by Shani Boyanju. Okay, question two is from Sarah. She says, over the Thanksgiving holidays, my family will be embarking on a road trip from Wisconsin to Florida and back. Our kids are four and six, and we're beginning to think about fun activities to keep them from going crazy on the car rides, and audiobooks are on the docket. We've had great success with audiobooks with them in the past on shorter trips, and have listened to most of the Ramona Quimby series, other Beverly Cleary titles, and a bunch of the Magic Treehouse installments. However, I'm in search of a few ideas that are kid-appropriate, but also have appeal for the whole family. Uh, I'm thinking about the first Harry Potter, and possibly also a Roald Dahl title, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts um, for other titles that we could look into. We will not listen to books for the entire trip, so shorter titles are ideal. We don't really need anything to span the whole 40 hours. Okay. Um, I'll go first. My first pick is The Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich. And this is the first in a series, so if you do like it and decide that you want more for your road trip, you can download, you know, I think there are five or six. Um, so this is a kind of a, if you are a fan of Little House on the Prairie, but this is, okay, so this is how I discovered this book. I was rereading Little House on the Prairie and considering reading it to my kids who are five, but it has a lot of stuff that 
it's very problematic and I'm not willing to, like, I'm not ready to have these conversations with my kids yet. So I went searching for something in the same, you know, 19th century pioneer life, kind of making corn dolls, living on the prairie kind of thing uh, that I could read with them. And Kelly Jensen, our associate editor, recommended this to me. So this is the same time period. It's the 19th century pioneer life in America, except the main character is a Native American girl named uh, Omakayas. She's an Ojibwa girl and Louise Erdrich, the author, is herself Ojibwa. Um, She lives on an island in Lake Superior off of the coast of Montana, I think. Um, and it's just, it's so much like Little House on the Prairie. Like, it's the day-to-day life. You follow her over a cycle, a cycle of four seasons in um, the mid-1800s. Um, and it's just, like, what this little girl, who I think is seven or eight, um, does during the day. And it's that little, the little details of living close to your natural environment um, and how her family deals with white people forcing them um, to change their ways and how her family deals with like smallpox. There's a smallpox breakout in the winter. um, And her, there's some interesting stuff in there about the Ojibwa spiritual practices and healing, how she, what she like, how she, what she does when she encounters bears. She trains a little like blackbird to be her friend. And it's just really adorable. Um, but I think that this would be good for a family listen because it's, you know, easy to understand and it's a child's book. So it's perfectly appropriate for a four or six year old, but there's so much in here about, um, the Ojibwa way of life that I think adults will find equally fascinating. You know, you can all learn things, um, together, which is nice. So that's the Birchbark House by Louis. I need to caveat my Shiniboy to wreck really quickly. I just want to acknowledge that obviously this is a very political topic, like Israel and the Israeli army. And those politics are not dealt with directly in the book so much as just like, this is what their lives are like and this is how they know life. Um, But obviously you're going to have a classroom discussion about that. So I just wanted to mention that. Okay. Sorry. Um, I realized I should have said it earlier and then I was like, oh, I'm just going to say it now. Um, My first pick for audiobooks for kids is The Cricket in Times Square by George Selden, which is a book that I loved as a kid. Um, and I don't know. I think it's really fun. Like, I don't think it'll drive parents crazy. It is about a little mouse uh, named Tucker Mouse who lives in Times Square. And one night he is, you know, listening to all the sounds, the traffic and the people and breaks and whatever. And suddenly here's this new strange chirping noise. And what is it? Um, and he meets Chester Cricket, who's from Connecticut. And it's just like a really sweet, you know, animal story about the big city. Um, I thought the details were really fun. I don't know. It might drive you crazy, but I think it's really an enjoyable, fun story. I think the audiobook is something like two hours long. And I'm just going to say that um, on Audible, the audiobook is narrated by Tony Shaloub. That's amazing. <laughs> Amazing, right? Like, how do you not want to listen to Tony Shalhoub's voice? So that seems to me like it could be a good one. So that's The Cricket in Times Square by George Selden. Okay, my second one is The Frog and Toad Stories by Arnold Lobel. The audiobook version of this, or the one on Audible anyway, is um, like the collected stories. So you can listen to as many or as few of them as you want. And these are kind of classic children's stories. Um, but they're, I mean, they're obviously, they're about a frog and a toad who are best friends and have various and sundry adventures um, in the, like, forested area and the pond where they live together. Um, and they're, like, very cute adventures, like, 
Toad loses his button, and together they go off in search of the button, and they find buttons for everything except his button, and it becomes very <laughs> frustrating for Toad, and Frog has to, like, deal with his friend having a temper tantrum, and that's actually kind of the summary of a lot of the stories here. Something bad happens to Toad, Toad has a temper tantrum, Frog teaches him how to, like, deal with his feelings, which is a thing that kids, you know, <laughs> can use, <laughs> a lesson kids can use. Um, but the reason why I picked this as, like, a cool thing that won't drive adults crazy is that they're just really funny, like, Arnold Lovell put in, I think, a lot of great, uh, not inside jokes, but like wink nods for the grownups that he knows are reading these stories out loud to kids. Um, so there are things that are maybe not that are that like slapstick humor that will be funny for kids, but will probably be funnier for parents. Um, and the first book is, I've got it around here. So I'm like looking at my bookshelf, trying to see how long it is. It's like 60 pages. So it would be a very short audiobook. But if you listen to all of them um, at once, then it's a couple of hours. Uh, there are there are kind of um, not morality stories, but there's a definite lesson uh, for uh, at the end of each one or in the midst of each one. So uh, if that's a thing that you are interested in, then that's a good pick. So that's the Frog and Toad stories. The first one is called Frog and Toad are Friends, and they're by Arnold Lobel. Okay, my second pick for you is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. I My mother read these aloud to myself and my two brothers when we were about in that age range, and like every night before bed we would read a chapter or two. And so I... I remember it as being appropriate for that age group. Um, I, you know, the, like, Christianity allegory stuff, I didn't pick up on it as a kid. I don't know if that bothers you. If that bothers you, that's fair. But I don't think it's so heavy-handed, especially in the early books. Um, Although they are a little on the scary side. But you mentioned Harry Potter, which is, I think, about the same level of scary. So, you know, the witch is not, obviously, a pleasant human. Uh, So you will have to, you know, judging by your own children, like, how good they are with potentially scary things. Um, But I think audiobooks, you know, they might be fine. Who knows? Uh, The other thing I will mention about the the audiobook of Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, because nobody needs me to tell them what happens in that book, um, is that the audiobook is narrated by Michael York, who, if you are a Gilmore Girls fan, was Asher Fleming. Who, huh, um, yeah, I know. It's such a, like, the old professor dude that, um, oh gosh, what's her name, is dating in, like, later seasons in the college years of Gilmore Girls. What's her name? The roommate. I, Elaine? No. No. Um, the blonde. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. I know her name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I didn't watch the college seasons because Rory got on my nerves at that point. Yeah, I mean, they were not my favorite. But anyway, uh, it's great. Um, He's he's Paris. Paris, yes. Paris is dating that old college guy, and that's who it is. Um, And he's got, like, this very, like, sort of refined, enjoyable, you know, he's got an OBE, so he's a British dude voice. So that might be fun to listen to. So that's The Line, The Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Is it me? It's me. Okay. Our next question is from Ruth Ann. My friend started a book club because she is an aspiring author querying now, and she wanted a mechanism to stay abreast of excellent, fairly new fiction and other women authors. We're focusing on literary fiction written by women within the last few years, preferably debuts. So far, we have read Everything I've Never Told You and Dietland, and The Light Between Oceans is next for November. Um, I'm picking the book to lead discussion in January, and I'm at a loss. Uh, I prioritize a good discussion of themes and interpretation or implication. I would say that profanity, violence, and sex are not off the table, but if it's a gratuitous, it's a turnoff. All right. 
I think that's all of that. Oh, she mentioned some other titles they're considering. Would you co-sign any of these? You Are One of Them by Elliot Holt, Wash by Margaret Wrinkle, The Sleepwalker's Guide to Dancing by Mira Jacob, and 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino. Okay, I will co-sign Mira Jacob and Marie Helene Bertino. Both of those would be excellent picks for you. Um, my first pick, though, is... Uh, it's not technically a debut. It's her second book, but it was the first one that I think really got recognition in the U.S. It is All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. And it is just the most incredible novel. Oh my gosh. I fell hard for this book when it first came out, which was 2014, I want to say. Um, for a lot of reasons. First is that the main character, Jake, who is a woman, um, is really compelling. She's very sort of crusty. Uh, she, like, personality-wise, she's not super outgoing. She just kind of wants to keep her head down and do her job, which is that she works, uh, she has a flock of sheep on this, like, tiny island in Britain, um, where it's just rainy all the time. And, uh, she just is living her life. She's doing her thing. She's solitary. She doesn't mind it. That's the way she wants it. And you start to discover that the reason that she is so isolated is because this terrible thing happened in her past and you don't know what it is. And then, so there's the present day storyline, which like moves forward in a normal, normal linear fashion. And then interspersed are chapters that take you slowly backwards into her life. So you start to see more and more pieces of why it is that she's ended up where she is. And it's just so well paced and so well woven. It like, it plays tricks on your brain a little bit because you're like, wait, okay, I'm moving backwards and forwards in time. It's intense. <laughs> um, but I think she pulls it off, which is a really interesting thing to look at both from a book club perspective and from a writerly perspective. Like, how do people do that? I think that's a really cool thing to check out. Um, and yeah, the ending of the book, just like, hits you in the gut. Um, a, there's a lot of intense moments, and none of it is gratuitous, but a lot of it is very real. Um, you know, because if you're a woman moving through the world without a support system, like, bad things are going to happen to you. Uh, and Jake is not an exception to that rule. Uh, so it is intense, but I think it's really, really worth the read. So that is All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. Okay, my first pick is The Turner House by Angela Flournoy, which came out in 2015. And this is a really great family novel, and it takes place in Detroit. Um, Viola and Francis are, like, the patriarch and matriarch of this family. They have 13 kids who they've raised in this house in Detroit. Um, there's Francis has died, and Viola is older and not able to take care of herself, and so she's moved in with her oldest son and his wife. And so their house is empty, the Turner House, the aforementioned, or the titular Turner House. Um, the problem is that the house itself has, uh, because this takes place, the book takes place during the housing crisis, like at the beginning and throughout the recession. Um, and so the house is worth only one-tenth of the price that it's mortgaged for. And so the 13 children are like coming in from the various corners of the earth from whence they have scattered to figure out together what they want to do with the house. So... The book is a lot about family secrets and aging and our duties to each other. It also moves back and forth in time. Um, so Viola and Francis came to Detroit from Arkansas and were part of that, like, you know, great migration that um, Isabel Wilkerson explains in uh, Warmth of Other Sons, that nonfiction work about um, black families leaving the South for, you know, not friendlier necessarily, but 
not Jim Crow era states. So they come and they move to Detroit. Um, so you do move back in time a little bit and follow their relationship and they, as they settled in the house. Um, and it's also a lot about Detroit as a character and the fall kind of of the city during the recession um, and what it turned into as people started to flee um, the kind of city area and outskirts a little bit for, for other better economic situations. And so like what the city turned into. So the deterioration of a family, the deterioration of a city, it's just really well written. It's kind of page turnery, which is interesting for literary fiction. It's not like a thing I necessarily associate with literary fiction, but you, I really think that you like won't be able to put it down. It's a good book club pick. So that's The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. My second pick for you is We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo. This book, oh man, it was on the shortlist for the Man Booker <laughs> Prize when it came out, which was 2013? 2013, 2014. Um, it is about a young girl who, the story starts when she's 10, and she is growing up in Zimbabwe, having what seems to her a perfectly normal childhood. Um, she is, you know, she's got friends, they play games, they, you know, they've moved around a bit and their world is not quite like it used to be, but, you know, she is a child and she's having a childhood. And then uh, their homes are destroyed by the paramilitary police, the, you know, the school clothes, their fathers are, you know, abroad doing jobs just because, you know, trying to send money back home. Um, but Darling gets sent to her aunt in America. So now she she is trying to navigate growing up as a, you know, a preteen in in a suburb in America. I can't quite, it's like in the Midwest, I want to say. I can't quite remember exactly where she goes. But, um, and then it turns into like a very weird, like you see what it, you see this concept of what it is to be a teenager in America with access, you know, to the internet, for example, or like, you know, to the, you know, places where advertising is running wild with images of women in a very certain way and, you know, what that's like when not only are you a young girl, but also you're not from here. Uh, and it's really intense. It's a really beautifully written book. It's a really hard book to read in some moments, um, but it also retains like this sort of I, I mean, it's it has these beautiful, lighthearted moments because it it is about a child, and I think No Violet really does capture a lot of those like bright, happy moments because you know every child, you know, or not every child, a lot of children, no matter their circumstances, like do find the joy in their lives. Um, so it's it's not like one horrible thing after other. It's like the, a really rounded, complex portrait of a life, I guess is how I want to say it. So this is just a beautiful book. Uh, I think it would be a great book club pick. There's a lot to talk about. So that's We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo. All right. My second pick for you is Shine, Shine, Shine by Lydia Netzer. Uh, I love this book so much. It's so weird. Uh, it's about a couple, Sonny and Maxon, who live in Virginia in a quiet neighborhood. Um, they seem very... Normal. Sunny is a housewife and Maxon is an astronaut who has just left um, to go. He's like on a space, spaceship, whatever, shuttle, uh, going to the moon where they're working on like colonizing the moon. Um, they have a small child who is on the autism spectrum and Sunny herself is pregnant again, like largely pregnant. At the beginning of the book, she gets into a car accident in her neighborhood outside of her neighbor's house and her beautiful blonde hair 
flies off and turns out to be a wig and it turns out that she's bald. And this starts the kind of unraveling of her world um, as she knows it, as her husband is like hurtling through space. Um, so it turns out that their relationship together is, is actually not at all normal. Maxon himself is a, is kind of a savant who was grown up, who was raised by parents who didn't care about him at all. Um, and he is himself also on the autism spectrum. So they met as children. Um, she is bald. She has, I don't remember what it's called, but she's got um, a genetic disorder, so she doesn't grow any hair. And Alopecia? so of course she was, Yes, thank you. And so she was mocked a lot as a child, and they became kind of unlikely friends. She taught him um, what, like, how to interpret people's emotions, like how to interact with other people and like what their facial expressions mean uh, as, as, as like an indicator of what they're feeling and like what your appropriate response to that should be and that sort of thing. And he saw past her alopecia into like the interesting person who she was. And so eventually they fall in love, they get married. Um, and, but when she gets pregnant, she starts to crave like normalcy, like neither of them had stable childhoods. And so she really starts to like want to provide that for her children. But the two of them are, not quote unquote normal. Like they're, they're odd and they're interesting and they're, they're strange and lovely. And so that, that like forcing their relationship into that kind of suburb, suburban box starts to do like real damage uh, to the two of them. And also, and so she starts to like come to grips with that fact while her husband is in space. And while he's in space, um, there's an accident on the rocket that he's on. And so he has his own stuff to deal with up there while she's dealing with all of this emotional stuff down here. As, as And she's also dealing with her child who has special needs and she's about to give birth. So there's like a lot going on. But the heart of this book is about our own weirdness and how all of us have it, no matter how hard we try to deny it and loving other people in our weirdness and appreciating their their uh, level of weirdness. It's, it's a really lovely and I just like love it a lot. This is the book that I hand sold the most when I was a bookseller. Um, and which was the year it came out. So yeah, it's just got like a special place in my little heart. So that's Shine, Shine, Shine by Lydia Netzer. Okay, is it me? Yes. All right. Question four is from Sarah. She says, I'm looking for some seasonal recommendations for my book club. We are meeting early November and I was hoping to have a good book suggestion to get us in the mood for Christmas. The only book we could think of was A Christmas Carol, but that was vetoed because he was paid by the word. Okay, but he was not, whatever. I'm not going to rant about that. We are rather diverse in our preferred genres, which made, which makes it hard to choose a book, but the most popular books we've read as a group are Sleeping Giants, Big Little Lies, and The Girl on the Train. Um, book doesn't have to be specifically Christmas, but something seasonal would be great. Also, we're in Canada, so not looking for a Thanksgiving theme because we celebrate in October. Okay. Um, he was not paid by the word. <laughs> That's I a was myth. wondering... <laughs> If you could let it go. <laughs> he was paid by the installment, which is not, it doesn't sound that different, but it is different. Also, most of his stuff was published in his own newspapers, so he was paying himself out of his own pocket, so it's not like that was a, anyway, we, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop now. Like, all the hearts for Dickens over here, let's just, <laughs> let's just leave it there. We both are huge fans. It's fine. It's fine. If you don't like him, it's fine, but we love him. <laughs> I'm going to, you go. Okay. You, you sit with your feelings for a minute. Um, my first pick for you is the it's the short story collection I reread every year uh, to get myself in the holiday spirit because I kind of dread the holidays, but this helps. And that is Miracle and Other Christmas Stories by Connie Willis, our, our BFF, Connie Willis. Um, this collection is, it is a Christmas collection, just so you know, so you're not surprised. Um, but it 
it is the weirdest Christmas story collection you will ever have the pleasure to find, as far as I know. Um, there is a there's a story about aliens, an alien invasion. There's a story about a guardian angel, sort of like um, oh, what's the super depressing boy? I can't think of any words today. Anyway, okay, it's a guardian angel, but it's not the kind of guardian angel that you actually want in your <laughs> life. Um, there is a really super weird Toy Story story. Uh, there is like a modern day take on the Nativity story. There's just all kinds of really bizarre things. There is actually a Christmas Carol esque story, but it's like, oh, it's so twisted and fun. Um, so yeah, I think that these will just—they're just delightful to read. It's not heavy, it's not hard, but they're very surprising um, because Connie Willis can never do anything in a straightforward fashion, which is why we love her. So if you're looking for something that's really offbeat, I mean, you said you liked Sleeping Giants. Um, I think that this is, uh, it's got like, you know, that that sort of speculative fiction twist to the whole Christmas season, which is just, a, it's really enjoyable. So I think that would be a fun one. Uh, Miracle and Other Christmas Stories by Connie Willis. Okay, my first pick is also an overt Christmas thing. It's, and, oh, it's a romance? Because you said that you guys were diverse in your uh, preferred genres. And so I thought a romance would kind of shake things up. You didn't list any in your books that y'all have read uh, already. So it's uh, An Affair Before Christmas by Eloisa James. It's the second book in the Desperate Duchesses uh, series, but I have not read the first one and do not feel like I missed an, out on anything. I've said this before on this podcast, but a lot of the romance series uh, you don't need to read like in order. And this is one of them. So uh, the main character is Lady Perdita Selby. Um, she's more commonly known as Poppy. She's married to the Duke of Fletcher, who is, you know, very handsome. And they, uh, she married the Duke, not for his money or his title, but like they legitimately fell in love with each other and got married. They've been married for four years, which is nice because I don't, you know, I feel like it's a little less common in romance novels to read about couples who are already married. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is four years later. They are the toast of the town. Like, everybody loves this couple. They're kind of the it couple, but behind closed doors, they are not, it's not working. Like, they, they're not having sex anymore. Um, and Poppy herself really intensely dislikes that, uh, process because she has she has a lot of hang-ups about it from stuff that her mother has said um, to her before she got married about like shame that like gave her a lot of shame about like the act itself and so she tries hard not to project that on her husband but she can't help it so he feels her kind of coldness so that part of their marriage is is pretty much dead and it's bled into other aspects of their marriage where they're just like not getting along anymore they're still in love but barely and it's just like not working. So she leaves, like she pieces out and goes to stay with a friend because uh, she can't take it anymore. And um, he decides to win her back. And so the, it's like a two week period leading up to Christmas where he where the Duke decides he's going to like win his wife back. And it's like really nice and very heartwarming. Uh, he fails very miserably uh, for like the first half because she just decides she's like going to go live her own life. She's just not going to uh, do things with her body. She doesn't feel like she wants to do. Um, and she's going to go pursue her own interests, which she never did in their marriage because she was too busy trying to make him happy. Um, and so he has to like learn to let her be her own person. They both work together to get to like the bottom of the shame that she feels about having sex with her husband. And it's just like nice. Like it's, it's very spicy for a romance novel, which is great, but like they're dealing with like legitimate marriage issues, um, which is 
cool. And like, it's like a good like fodder for discussion. I feel like in a book club, that uh, all of the stuff that they work through and how they work through it. Um, so yeah, so that's an affair before Christmas by Eloisa James. I love it that she is always breaking rules about romance. Like that's yeah. she. Like they've been married for four years. Yeah, <laughs> that's not something you see very often. That's great. Uh, okay, my second pick for you is Canadian, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and it's a thriller. So, but it has a lot of snow in it. It's the language of secrets, which is the second book in the Rachel Getty and Issa Katek series by Asma Zahanakan, who we just had on the show. And so, of course, I was reading her books and loving them. And so now I'm going to recommend them to you. Um, it's I so I just finished this, so it's very fresh in my mind. And it is one of the coldest, chivalriest books I've read in a while. Uh, it has nothing to do with Christmas because most of the characters are um, Muslim, and it is sort of the whole plot is organized around this investigation where an undercover agent is murdered and he was trying to track a terrorist plot. Um, and so uh, Katak and Rachel Getty are trying, to, like, are brought in sort of just to save face and they're not actually supposed to be doing anything. And, um, but of course, they're very good detectives and they do actually try to solve the murder. Uh, and there's a lot of layers to it, um, but I I just, it was, like, there's ice skating in one portion, except that it's, like, not, it's ice skating while, like, somebody's trying to kill you. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of snowstorms, and it's just, it's a very wintry book. So I, if you want something that is not at all, you know, affiliated with any sort of specific religious holiday, this is your book. Um, I, I haven't read the first in the series yet, but it didn't matter to me, so I think you will be okay. The characters are pretty well established, uh, and the plot is very page-turnery. There's a lot going on here, um, and I think that, you know, thrillers always make for b good book club discussions, because you're going to argue about, like, how soon you saw it coming, and there's some really good twists and turns in this one. So that is The Language of Secrets by Asma Zahanek Khan. All right, my second pick for you is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Uh, I picked this because you were leaning towards the uh, classic stuff with The Christmas Carol, um, so I thought this would be a good alternative. I don't think Louisa May Alcott was paid by any word or installment, though I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. But either way, it's, you know, it's short, and it's a kind of a, a children's book, so it won't take you forever to get through. Um, I don't need to tell you, I don't think, the plot of Little Women, but it's so... <laughs> Christmassy, like it snows through half of the book. There's a lot of gingerbread and like roaring fires and Massachusetts weather. Um, and it does take place a lot over a Christmas season. Um, and so there's, you know, caroling and they go to see a play and tromp through the snow and give each other pears as Christmas presents, which is really charming. I was just um, thinking about like how odd. The, I mean, the it's just like so oldie time, obviously. <laughs> and like hanging ivy or right, holly or whatever right. it is they do. Um, and like playing in the attic and dressing up and talking about how you're too poor to afford presents, that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know that this isn't that Little Women is necessarily a um, like a discussion starter. You're not going to have a lot of like deep conversations at your book club meeting. But if like you're going for a thing that's going to get you in the mood um, for the holidays with your friends and then you're going to meet and you're going to drink some cider, this is the thing. I think so. Yeah. Little Women by Louise May Alcott. I'm not going to explain anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for our second sponsor, which is Playster. 
Uh, if you are an audiobook fan, if you are an ebook fan, and slash also music and movies and TV shows and games, Playster is a platform that gives you unlimited access to all of those things for one monthly fee. Uh, and it is, if you are an Android user, it's okay because there is an Android and an iOS app as well as web browsers. Uh, and so the way it works is that you sign up for, you can sign up either for individual bits, like if you just want audiobooks or you just want ebooks or you can do a package deal and they have tons of titles i was looking at the title list and a bunch of my favorites are on there they've got billy lynn's long halftime walk which is getting made into a movie what what uh <laughs> tahara mafia is on there there's um danielle page who i love there's agatha christie which we know you love uh and the ebooks the audiobooks list is equally good they've got amy schumer they've got colson whitehead they've got blake crouch um they've got just a ton of things uh there's no credits to keep track of you just you know have unlimited streaming for that month and if you sign up using our special promo code you will get a 90 day free trial so that code is book riot 90 and uh yeah you can get your you can get your favorite titles on the go you can have them offline you can have them online it's a really flexible platform so again that is playster and if you sign up using code book riot 90 you get a 90 day trial uh and you should check it out all right, thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Next question, also me, is uh, from Lauren. Says, I'm looking forward to the re- release of Rogue One later this year. I'd like to read some YA with action girls kicking butt with my daughter, who is age 14. What can you suggest? <laughs> Go ahead, Amanda. <laughs> action girls! Action girls! I love it. I love this question. Okay, so my first one is a book that I'm reading now. I'm in the middle of it, and I'm loving it so much. It's The Reader by Tracy Chi, which is the first book in the Sea of Ink and Gold series. But uh, it just came out uh, last month, so sequels are not around. <laughs> so you'll have to wait. Anyway, um, so the main character's name is Sephia. She's 15 at the start of the book, and she is on the run. Her father was murdered um, very violently in, when she was younger, and so she has fled um, her house and her neighborhood or whatever with her aunt Nin, who is the only person that she has left. Her mother died of a, something like tuberculosis a little bit um, previous to her father's uh, murder. And as she, so they like survive in the wilderness together. Like they steal, they're kind of petty criminals. Um, they know that they're on the run. Sephir knows that they're on the run from something awful because she realizes looking back over her childhood that they lived completely isolated. Um, her family had used like songs and stuff that you do with kids to teach her survival skills and to teach her what to do in the event that she came home and found her her house ransacked or her family gone or whatever. So they taught her um, all of these emergency preparedness stuff that she didn't realize she was ever going to need because she was too young, obviously, at the time. Um, and so she, looking back, realizes that something, her parents were hiding from something. Um, and so now she is an adult. This horrible thing that she knew was eventually going to happen has happened. The only thing that she has left is a thing that she took from her house uh, when she went on the run with her aunt, and that is a book. But in this universe, books are not a thing. Nobody knows how to read or write, um, so she has no idea what this thing is that she's carrying. Um, And then when she's on the run, Nin, her aunt, is kidnapped. And so she is left by herself to survive and to try and figure out what she's going to do to save her aunt and how to find her. And so she realizes that the only clue to finding her is this object, this book, and she teaches herself to read using hints and clues that her family, her parents taught her before they died. Um, And using the clues in the book, she goes off to rescue her aunt from, like, these really horribly evil people. There are also pirates, like really great fun, swashbuckling, 
the whole nine yards pirates who help her on this adventure of action girls kicking butt. And there are a couple of strangers <laughs> that she picks up along the way to like create this motley crew of people um, who have kind of like powers related to reading or books or things like that. Um, so it's a very it's a fantasy novel. There's a lot of like tapping into the great light that connects us all kind of stuff that's, like, activated by words. Um, so it's a lot about, like, the magic of reading, kind of, not so subtly. But it's also just about this girl, like, kicking some butt and doing action girl stuff and, like, going off to save her aunt all by herself because her parents are dead and she's the only person that she has left. Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's very fast-paced and interesting. So that's The Reader by Tracy Chi. My first pick for you is called Archivist Wasp. It's by Nicole Corner Stace. I think I said that right. And it is one of my favorite sort of undersung YA books of the last few years. I love this book so much. Everybody needs to <laughs> read it. Uh, so thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it. It's about a girl named Wasp who lives in a post-apocalyptic world, apocalyptic world in which she has to fight yearly to retain her position as the archivist, um, which means that like she gets fed and sheltered and has a place to stay. Uh, and also she has a job to do. She is a sort of a ghost hunter. She It's her job to protect her village from the ghosts that are inhabiting the landscape. And she has, like, tools to do this and a ritual and all that jazz. Um, but she's really sick of her life. It's a terrible life. She has to kill other girls once a year to retain her position just so that she can, like, get fed and be browbeaten by the guy, priest person who's in charge of all of this. Uh, and she has tried to run away before and it has not worked. And she suffered dramatically from those consequences. But she just, like, her spirit will not be broken. She just is looking for a way out. And one day she meets this ghost who is a lot different from most of the other ghosts she's encountered. It's like a ghost super soldier. Uh, and they make a deal where the ghost will help her escape her situation if she will help the ghost kind of put to rest why it's still around. Um the ghost has this memory of a close friend who, like, was taken from him in mysterious circumstances, and he wants to try to figure out what happened. So she and the ghost go on this adventure. There's, like, a touch of um, Dante's Inferno. Like, there's levels to the ghost world that she's moving through that are kind of super fun. And um, it's got a ton of action, both supernatural and, you know real worldy I guess it's as real world as you can get in a post-apocalyptic world and I thought that Wasp was such a great character I just really she's got so much moxie and just will not give up and I just I loved it I also love the setting it's a really kind of different twist on the post-apocalyptic world that I hadn't seen before so and the ending is oh it's so good uh so that is Archivist Wasp by Nicole Corner Stace all right my second pick is uh finally out so I can talk about it I was so excited because I've been waiting to talk about this book forever. So it's Iron Cast by Destiny Soria. Um, this is historical fiction fantasy YA. It takes place in 1919 in Boston. So like right before Prohibition passes, um, mainly in a club called the Cast Iron, a club like a like a speakeasy. The two main characters are best friends, Corinne and Ada, um, who live in this club and are performers. One's a musician and one does like spoken word poetry, singing kind of stuff. They are also con artists. So the thing about Corinne and Ada is that they have powers, sort of, um, which are fairly kind of common in this world. It's called um, hemiopathy or hemopathy? Hemopathy. Um, which is the word that people have given it uh, for like an affliction of the blood, where when you have it, it gives you the ability 
to through music or through the spoken word or through whatever um, to manipulate other people's emotions or to manipulate what they think they're seeing. Um, so different afflictions give you different sort of powers. So they use their abilities to perform on stage. Uh, people come to these hemopath shows to like have their emotions purposefully manipulated. They also use their powers to do like side cons to make money for the club. Um, so it's a, like a really fun kind of setting. Like I haven't read a lot of YA that takes place during prohibition. Um, but then it gets it like swiftly turned serious. Ada, a job goes wrong. Ada is in prison. She's thrown into an asylum for hemopaths because performing hem- hemopathy is actually illegal and they are mostly oppressed. Like, um, there are gangs that kind of roam the streets. They're called ironmongers who kidnap and kill hemopaths. Um, and th- when they're arrested, they're not given for trials. They're just taken to an asylum, you know, quote unquote, for their own good. But in reality, there's like all these experiments being done on them. So she gets arrested. She goes to prison. Uh, Corinne breaks her out. And then they go on this like grand adventure of like being betrayed. And uh, the police come and like close down their club, like their friends start disappearing, all this like crazy stuff starts happening and they have to solve the mystery of what's going on while at the same time not being arrested um, or killed and um, while like being betrayed left and right. So it's at its heart a book about these two best friends and like their deep and abiding friendship. Their backgrounds are really interesting. Ada is biracial and so she has to deal with a lot of racism obviously in 1919 in Boston Um, and Corinne comes from a very very wealthy family who she thinks will never accept her if they find out the truth about her so um, they both have their own secrets and their own issues and like they have they cling together to get through the hardness of their life Um, so there's a lot of serious stuff going on it's obviously very relevant to today so if you like want to use a book as a springboard for like talking to your 14 year old kid about kind of current issues the book is really i mean like it's about female friendship it's also very much about how we mistreat quote unquote the other um so there's you know obvious relevance to that so it's iron cast by destiny soria super fun but also like very thinky and i really love it my second pick for you is silver phoenix by cindy pon which is the first book in a series so if you'd like it there is more and the best way i have found to describe this book is like imagine the odyssey except it's about a young girl in a world influenced by chinese mythology uh <laughs> it's super great uh the the main character is ai ling and she is sort of she is uh, she's of age but is not married and feels that she has brought dishonor on her family except that she doesn't want to be married she doesn't want to be some bride who never gets to see the outside world um, and she ends up running away from home and uh, on a mission to try to find out what has happened with her father. He has disappeared. Um, he went off like to try to make their lives better and never came back, and she has no idea where he is. And so she is on this quest uh, to find out what happened to her father. And in the process, she has to defeat all kinds of like supernatural forces and also navigate through a world in which young women are not really supposed to be running around by themselves. Uh, and she meets a boy named Chen Yang who is, you know, they, he ends up helping her for reasons of his own. And it's just such a cool, amazing world that Cindy Pan has built in this book. Like there's just 
really fascinating, you know, demons and situations. And I just, I loved it so much. Uh, it's, it's a really cool, like, experience to be immersed in this world, which is a little bit like how I feel when I, re- when I you know, go to see Star Wars. It's like, oh, yes, there's this whole universe and there's all these things in it that are not like my universe. Um, and this has that same feel to it, only obviously it's a very different kind of world that you find yourself in. So I, and Cindy Pond is so funny. There's a lot of humor in these books as well as, like, the action-y stuff. So it's not too heavy. I mean, there's serious things that happen, but it's, it's much lighter than um, than I think Archivist Wasp, for example. Uh, so it's a really good choice if you want like a super action-y but not too depressing book, is how I would say it. So that is Silver Phoenix by Cindy Pon. Okay, our last question. Do we have time? Yes, we do. Okay, so our last question is from Jessica. She says, I was an English major in college, so I've read most of the basic classics. I've now finished law school and started my career, and I'm finally able to read again. I would really like to get back into some good classics that are obscure enough that they won't end up on any course lists. I just feel a little bit lost. I never liked Jane Austen and haven't found a Dickens I like except for A Christmas Carol. <laughs> All you Dickens haters, what I know. <laughs> blah, blah. I like Mysteries, Jane Eyre, Sherlock Holmes, and Mary Elizabeth Braden. My coursework was mostly women, so I haven't touched most of the males. Thanks for the help. That's what she said. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. Woo! <laughs> 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 okay. Um, this is a really interesting question. I feel like it's usually the opposite. Like, yeah. people have read all of the dudes and not so much the women. So, um, I had a lot of fun with this. This is very much my wheelhouse. Okay, so my first pick for you is Wilkie Collins. Anything. Like, anything Wilkie Collins has written. He's a Victorian author who, since you like mysteries and Sherlock Holmes, I think you will love. He was kind of a bridge between, like, really gothic fiction and modern detective fiction. So most of all of his books have um, some sort of mystery at their heart, but they are still, like, at their core, these, like, big behemoth Victorian classics with, like, uh, you know, um, women in distress and, like, dudes being doodly and that kind of thing. And he is so much fun. So if you're looking for a place to start with Wilkie Collins, I would go with um, The Woman in White, which is about an art teacher named Walter who is, like, on a moonlight London road walking to his new job, and he encounters a woman in white wandering down the street um, looking very lost and forlorn, and he helps her find a cab and, like, does his good deed, and then he later finds out that, like, she's escaped from an asylum. Dun-dun-dun! And then he goes to... uh, He falls in love with, like, a woman that he's teaching, uh, but she... Uh, can't marry him. She's engaged to, like, this older kind of villainous figure who she eventually marries. Uh, and then um, he tries to, like, steal her fortune. And there's just, like, a lot going on. There are a lot of threads of mystery here. And a lot of threads of mistreatment of women, um, which Wilkie deals with. Wilkie. Wilkie. My, which my friend Wilkie deals <laughs> with in a very, um, like, surprisingly progressive, I feel like, way for uh, for his era. Um which maybe if you don't like Dickens, you will find also refreshing because Dickens famously not so great with the ladies, um, writing the ladies rather. Um, so yeah, pretty much everything Wilkie Collins wrote. I feel like you'll dick. So start with the woman in white um, or the moonstone alternatively, which is about a cursed gem. Cursed. Yes, it is cursed. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first pick for you is she by H. Ryder Haggard. I don't know if you can consider this a classic. Like, I don't know. What, I mean, it's just old, but it's really <laughs> great. I guess Oxford World Classics does have an edition of this, so sure. Um, It is the story of a guy named Horace and his ward Leo, and they journey to a lost kingdom in Africa, like, as in, like, oldie time, Africa the continent, place of wonders and mysteries. So it's definitely suffering from a lot of, I mean, it was written in, like, 
I don't know, the 18, late 1800s. So it's suffering from a lot of the sort of myopic uh, racial issues of the time. But it is a it's a gothic adventure story, which I have a I just I mean, I think they're really interesting sort of literary artifacts to read. Um and so they, uh, they're like, they get this mysterious package and it contains, you know, just enough clues to send them off on this adventure. And they, en- they encounter this, you know, mysterious queen named Aisha, who is referred to as she who must be obeyed. Um, and it is just the weirdest story. It's so weird. There was a movie <laughs> made out of it in the 1930s um, that I think captures that weirdness super well. It doesn't exactly follow all of the... Um, what do I want to say? Like, the plot points precisely, but it does capture the bonkers nature of the story. Um, and my favorite thing about the movie is that a woman named Helen Gehagen, who was, like, a Broadway star, uh, was the actress. And then she decided to leave Hollywood for politics and, like, serve two terms as a as a congressional representative for the state of California. Like, I just... There's so much around this book that I find fascinating um so i don't know it's weird it's 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 definitely an artifact of its time but i think it's interesting to read for those reasons as well as just because it's a banana story um like if you read edgar rice burroughs that's kind of what you're in for here so that is she by h Ryder haggard Okay, my second selection for you is 12 Years a Slave by Solomon Northup, um, which you maybe have heard of, maybe not, I don't know, it was recently made into a movie. Um, So this is a slave narrative, it's not a novel, it's an autobiography or memoir um, written by Solomon Northup about his experience where he was was born in New York, he was born a free black man in New York um, in the 1800s. He was kind of lord, not kind of, he was lord to Washington, D.C., um, in the 1840s, uh, via like a job advertisement or something like that, like he was lured there with the promise of like some easy money. Uh, but while he was in Washington, he was drugged um, and assaulted and sold off into slavery. And then he spent the next 12 years of his life in Louisiana on a cotton plantation as a slave, despite the fact that he was born as a free man. And so the book is about his experiences there, how he finally was able to get free of that situation. Um, it is very violent as one would expect. And you know, what's interesting is that if you read some of the reviews of uh, 12 years a slave, um, especially like on Goodreads or Amazon, they, a couple of people will like complain about that. Like, why does it have to be so violent? Well, mm. <laughs> hashtag slavery. Right. Yeah. So um, no, you know, like know what you're getting into when you pick up a slave narrative, obviously. Um, so there is a lot of that if that's a thing that you you like maybe don't want to read about, I guess a trigger warning or whatever. But uh, it's an important part. You don't say necessarily where where you are, um, the person who asked this question, Jessica. So um, I don't know if you're in the U.S., but it is an important uh, essential part of understanding American history and current American politics. And so if you are looking for a classic to read that is still extremely relevant, this is a good one. So that's 12 Years a Slave by Solomon Northup. All right, my second pick for you is Orlando by Virginia Woolf. I know that Virginia Woolf does end up on courses, but I'm always surprised by how few people have read Orlando, which is Virginia Woolf's, like, speculative fiction novel, because (laughs) she wrote one, and it's amazing. This is one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, It's about a... 
a boy named Orlando who is born, uh, he's a young nobleman in Elizabeth's court, um, like Elizabeth I, and he, uh, you know, falls in love with this Russian princess, and then she leaves him brokenhearted, and then he proceeds to have adventures, and, but Orlando doesn't age the same way as normal people, so then, like, you know, uh, several, uh, like, it, the whole story crosses about 300 years, and about 150 years after Orlando is born, he is an ambassador in Constantinople, and wakes up one morning to find that Orlando is now a woman, um, and then proceeds to live life as a woman in the 18th and 19th centuries. And so it's it's an incredible sort of survey of English history and politics from this lens of both uh, life as a man and as a woman. Um, I think Virginia Woolf is really playing with gender roles and our understanding of how gender works in this story. And it ends in 1928, which is the year that... Um, British women got suffrage. So there's like, there's obviously a little bit of an, you know, like she's writing about things that are important to her, um, but through this historical sort of weirdly speculative lens. And I just think it's a really incredible, fascinating story, as well as being a really funny book. Oh my gosh, Virginia Woolf is hilarious when she decides to be. It's so satirical. It's so smart. It's so clever. I don't know. I just love this book to pieces. So that is Orlando by Virginia Woolf. And that is our show. Woo! What, what? <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Please go rate us on iTunes and leave a review. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.